So this morning's reading is the whole of Galatians chapter 6, and it's on page 1172 in your Bibles. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law. Yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Thanks very much, Joy. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the last leg of our journey through Galatians. It would be great if you keep chapter 6 open as we pray for God's help to understand it. Let's pray. Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Father, we pray that as we ponder this morning what it looks like to live by the Spirit, help us not just to see what that life looks like, but we pray that with the help of your Spirit within us, you would help us to keep in step with what you're doing in our lives, that we might live lives that bring glory to your name and lives that build up our fellow believers, and we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Here's a question then to begin with this morning. What does it look like to live by the Spirit? That was the emphasis, wasn't it, in chapter 5, to live by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit. But what does true spirituality look like? What does it look like in the nitty-gritty of life to live by the Spirit? 
throughout church history. Many have thought that to be truly spiritual is actually to withdraw from the world. Some of you may be familiar with this guy, Simeon Stylites. You may not be familiar with him. He was born in 390 um, AD. And he famously lived for 37 years on top of a one meter square platform that he gradually built up to be 50 feet high. And this was his attempt to be spiritual, to live a spiritual life, because for him, to be spiritual was to withdraw from all things that he thought were unspiritual. To withdraw from the world. Now, of course, that's a pretty extreme example. But as you go through church history, you will see a number of people and people groups who've adopted the same techniques to withdraw from the world. The problem, though, of course, with that approach is that we cannot escape ourselves. However tall you build the tower, you cannot escape the sin that lies within the human heart or the flesh that Paul describes it in chapter 5. You see, the answer, says Paul, isn't to disengage from the world. It's not to withdraw or retreat from the world, but it is to remain in the world and to be transformed by the Spirit in our hearts as we live alongside each other. You may remember this verse from last week, chapter 5, verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. The gospel has liberated the people of God. But don't abuse that freedom. You remember last week? Don't abuse the freedom that God has bought for you at great cost. Instead, instead use that freedom. As Paul says, rather serve one another humbly in love. But of course, you cannot serve one another humbly in love when you're withdrawn from the world, can you? Like our friend Simeon. We need to be in the world. We need to be alongside the people of the world if we're going to humbly serve the people of this world. You see, life to live by the Spirit, according to Paul, it's not a private matter, but it's a corporate one. It's about how we relate to each other in the nitty gritty of daily life. Which is why the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit that we looked at last week, In Galatians chapter 5, they're primarily relational, aren't they? How we express them in relation to other people. You cannot love somebody unless you've got somebody to love. You cannot express kindness unless you've got somebody to be kind to. You cannot express gentleness unless you've got somebody to be gentle to. You see... This is a corporate matter. It's not just a battle in the human heart that we looked at last week. But it's how we encourage one another. It's how we look after each other's hearts. It's why this great chapter, Galatians chapter 6, is bookended with that little phrase. Do you see it there? Brothers and sisters. Because Paul is addressing us as a family of believers. We've heard it already, haven't we, this morning in the Tomes family with Ken and then Caleb and Genevieve and all the others. The commitment within the family of God. We've got a responsibility, not just for our own hearts, for our own personal walk with the Lord. We are responsible for the hearts of each other. What does it look like in the nitty gritty of daily life to help not just myself, but each other? The family of believers live and walk by the Spirit. Nine o'clock on a Monday morning. What does that really look like? 
We're going to pick up on six verbs that come up in this passage in Galatians chapter 6 as we try and summarize what Paul is getting at when he thinks about this life in the Spirit. And the first one's there in verse 1 of chapter 6. It's the word restore. Look at what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. The word restore there means to bring back to its former condition, to mend. It's the same word that's used in the Gospels of the disciples, mending their nets, restoring them to their former condition so that they can be useful. Here's Paul's point. The one who lives by the Spirit, the truly spiritual person, will not turn a blind eye when the Christian brother wanders into sin. When a Christian sister is beginning to get caught up in the acts of the flesh that we read about in Galatians chapter 5. The one who lives by the Spirit will be moved to act in order to see the wandering brother or sister mended and restored to a right walk with the Lord. Now, with the risk of sounding a little bit blunt this morning, I don't think our culture at Long Crendon is particularly strong when it comes to speaking the truth in love. I don't know how good we actually are at gently pulling one another up. When we slip into sin or when we wander, when we misplace a word, I wonder how good we are at gently restoring that Christian brother or sister and leading them back to Christ. And of course there's a way to go about this, right? We don't stand there with a big magnifying glass and scrutinize everyone that walks into church ready to pounce on something that they've done wrong. But here's the point. If you're really living in Christian community, living as a family of believers, you will see sin in each other. You really will. And Paul says, when that time comes, It is our responsibility to lovingly and gently confront their sin by bringing them back to the gospel of grace. A gospel that once again pronounces forgiveness, but then says, don't abuse that freedom that God has bought for you. But use that freedom to live and to love as God intends. And please note, as you look at verse 1 of chapter 6, this isn't solely the pastor's responsibility, or the elders, or ministry leaders, or even parents. It is all those who live by the Spirit. It is a call to all. It's part of what it means, isn't it? It's an expression of our church membership. For those of you who were here last week, what a wonderful moment when we welcomed Steve Berry and Helen Wood into membership. It's a lovely thing, isn't it? But to understand what they were doing then, it wasn't just signing a little bit of paper or joining a club. It was an expression of their commitment to walk alongside their brothers and sisters in Christ and be committed for each other's hearts. To open themselves up and say, I want you to correct me and love me and pray for me and help me be more like Christ. At the same time as them saying, I want to do that for you. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're committing to walking through this life with each other. It is the job of every single believer to be part of this wonderful work of gently restoring each other by bringing us back to the gospel of grace. Firstly, it is to restore. And secondly, to carry. Have a look down at verse 2. 
Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. You see, church isn't just full of people broken by sin who gently need to be restored. It is full of people who are broken by the circumstances of life, who are carrying around weighty and significant burdens. And there's many people in this building this morning that will know what that feels to carry weighty burdens through life for whom at the minute life is pretty tough. To live by the Spirit, says Paul, is to be willing to walk through life with each other and carry those burdens for them. And in this way, says Paul, you fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Now, of course, once again, there's a danger here, isn't there, that we rely or we depend upon other people. The Lord Jesus, of course, is our great rock. He is the one upon whom we depend. He is the one that we turn to first in prayer and say, please help. But wonderfully and graciously, when God saves people, he brings them into a family of believers who are committed to each other. That is the network that God puts in place to help us as we walk through life together. It's the beauty, isn't it, of being a part of the church, part of the people of God. That we walk through life together, we cry together, we pray together, we reflect upon the gospel of grace again together. And here's the challenge that I jotted down as I thought about our stage of life as a church here. Here's the one thing that I thought applied to us. We've got to make church small. We're a church now of 220, 2.30, and it is oh so easy for somebody to walk in here on a Sunday morning, to smile at the sermon, to have a cup of tea, and to walk out without anyone really being in their life and knowing them and understanding what they're going through. Without someone close enough to them to gently restore them when they wander into sin. To carry those burdens of life with them. I cannot emphasize enough the importance of being in close community together. Whatever that looks like. It might be a home group. It might be a discipleship group. It might be the new rooted group. It might be a prayer triplet. It can happen in all sorts of ways. But we need to be in places where we look each other in the eye. Where we open up ourselves. Where we become vulnerable and honest with each other. That we might support each other. That we might restore each other. That we might carry those burdens together. Because without that close community, I don't think we can do verse 1 and 2 of Galatians chapter 6 as Paul intends for us. So to live by the Spirit is firstly to restore the wandering brother or sister. Secondly, it is to carry their burdens with them. And thirdly, it is to test. Have a look at verse 4. Each one should test their own actions. You see, interspersed within these many applications of what it looks like to live by the Spirit are a number of timely warnings. Have a look back at the last verse of chapter 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Chapter 6, verse 1, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Verse 3, if anyone thinks there's something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Verse 4, each one should test 
their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Here's the danger. As we walk through life together, as we live in close community with each other, especially if you're the person doing the restoring and the carrying, you can very easily begin to feel spiritually superior. Look how good I am at helping my brother. Look at those burdens that I've carried for my sister in Christ. And very easily we can compare ourselves and begin to think that we actually look pretty good. Paul says, do not deceive yourselves. Don't ever fall into that trap of comparing yourself with somebody else. I brought in um, with me Mira and Caleb's little height charts, the giraffe. They've improved a bit since my day, because in my day, I had one doorpost and my sister had the other. And you just had lots of little biro marks with your initials at the doorframe. And you used to stand there, stretch as tall as you can, especially if you're my height. You put the book on, don't you, to make sure it's correct. And then you draw the little line. And gradually, you don't just see your height increase, but I looked at my sister's door frame as I looked at mine, and as I could see myself gradually catching her up, I was delighted. Because you compare yourself to each other. But Paul says, the moment you do that in the Christian life, the moment we start to spiritually compare ourselves to each other, then watch out. Because what does it lead to? It leads to conceitedness, it leads to pride, and it leads to jealousy. All of which are very dangerous and, decisive, and divisive Sorry, within the family of believers. What's the antidote to pride and conceitedness? It's the gospel again, isn't it? It's where Paul's been driving throughout this letter. It is the gospel that humbles us and reminds us that without Christ, we have and are nothing. The great commentator Carl Henry once said, how can anyone be arrogant when they stand beside the cross to prevent us wandering into conceit and pride? Stand by the cross. Because the cross humbles us. It puts us on a level playing field. It says we are all sinners in need of saving grace. And only by the atoning work of Christ on the cross can we stand in his presence. To live by the Spirit is to restore one another. It is to carry burdens. But as we do that, we must test our own hearts. Fourthly, it is to share. Have a look down at verse 6. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. It costs apparently £250,000 to train a doctor to put someone approximately through med school. It costs £4 million to train an RAF pilot. How much more important is it that we train people to correctly handle the word of God. In home group on Monday, we reflected back on chapter 5 of Galatians, and we spent quite a bit of time looking at this little verse here in chapter 5, verse 9. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. What a very simple and powerful metaphor. Just a little bit of yeast, just a little bit of false teaching, just a little bit of incorrect gospel very quickly filters through the whole batch of dough, through the whole church. 
You see, the impact of false teaching or not being quite in line with the gospel can be huge. We need to pray for and encourage all those who handle the word of God in this place. And I don't just mean the people that stand in this pulpit. I mean the people out there now that are leading S Club faithfully week after week. Those who work with young people throughout the week are home group leaders. And part of that encouragement means sharing with them. Nevertheless, verse 6, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. I wonder, I wonder when the last time was maybe you thanked or encouraged an S-group teacher for the hours that they put in in the week, grafting to be out of the service to teach and care for and look after our children and young people. And I wonder indeed if you're a young person here, we've had a bit of bonding already, haven't we, with the Tomes family, but I wonder if you're a child or young person, have you ever stopped and sincerely thanked your parents for instructing you in the word of God. Let's be a church, says Paul, that shares with, that prays for and encourages those who preach the gospel of God. Fifthly, to sow. To live by the Spirit is to sow to the Spirit. Have a look at verse 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. You see, there are just two fields that we can sow in. There's the field of the flesh, which if we sow to that, it reaps destruction. And there's the field of the spirit. If we reap, if we sow to the spirit, we will reap the harvest of eternal life. There's a little Chinese proverb that's up there on the screen. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It's pretty much what Paul is saying here. If we think about the wrong things, we end up doing the wrong things. And if we keep thinking about the wrong things and doing the wrong things, it becomes habitual in our lives. We become characterized by those things. They become habits. Take pornography as an example. If you look at inappropriate images on a TV screen, on a laptop, in a magazine, if you sow to the flesh in that way by looking at those things, it will lead to inappropriate action. It's inevitable. And the more we do that, the more we fall into inappropriate action, the more it becomes an habitual thing that enslaves us. And some people here will know how that feels. It's why Paul is so intent in chapter 5 about speaking about freedom. Because it's the gospel that liberates. Not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power, the enslaving nature of sin in the human heart. Instead, Paul says, don't sow to the flesh. Don't let it take root in the mind or the human heart. 
Instead, sow to the Spirit. Think about the gospel. Meditate upon Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you think about gospel things, you will end up doing gospel stuff, gospel behavior, and it will end up characterizing your life, a life of doing good to all, as Paul speaks of. A life that bears the fruit of the Spirit, of Christ-like character. So firstly, to live by the Spirit is to restore, it is to carry, it is to test, it is to share, it is to sow. And finally, Paul says, it is to boast. Have a look at verse 11. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, there's a lot of ink that's been spilt on this verse. Why is Paul writing in such large letters? There's a whole number of theories. Was it something to do with this eye problem that he had? And there's a whole host of stuff out there. But let's not miss the most important thing. Paul writes with large letters, not for his own benefit, but for his readers. Because he wants to emphasize certain things. And at this point, he really wants to emphasize And he's writing in size 40 font, bold, italics, underlined and highlighted in yellow. And he says, do not miss chapter 6, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The false teachers were boasting in the flesh. Human means, human efforts. Paul says, no, don't boast there. There's only one place to boast, and it's the cross of Christ. And you see, to boast isn't just bragging out loud. What you boast in, you glory in, you live for, you pursue with your whole life. And so the question you must ask yourself this morning is, what am I boasting in? Am I boasting in my children? Am I boasting in my gifts? Am I boasting in my career? Am I boasting even in my own Christian service? Or am I boasting in the cross that humbles us, that liberates us, and compels us to live for the glory of God? As Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, For I resolved to know nothing. While I was with you, except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I wonder this morning, would you resolve to do the same? To know nothing but Christ and him crucified. To boast in no one but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Bearing in mind, of course, that when you boast in Christ, there are consequences. The Christian life can be costly which is Paul's point in verse 12 and verse 17. But that's the life. That's the life of the Christian disciple. So why don't I leave you for a minute with those six verbs on the screen. I'd love you to reflect just for the next minute in the quietness of your own heart. And maybe there's a number of those that are speaking to you that God by his spirit is impressing upon your heart this morning. But maybe there's one that's just standing out. As you think life by the spirit... A commitment not just to my own heart, but to my family. 
to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe take a moment to pray that God would help you keep in step with what he's doing in your heart in that particular area of life. And then in about a minute's time, we're going to stand together and sing when I survey the wondrous cross. So why don't you take a minute? Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful gift of your Spirit that dwells and lives within us as believers. Please help us to keep in step with what you're doing in our lives. Help us to be willing and ready to restore a wandering brother or sister who is falling into sin. Help us to be willing to walk through life and carry the burdens of others as we care for them and their needs. Father, help us to take enough time to test our own hearts that we wouldn't think in any way that we are spiritually superior, Lord Jesus. Take us to the cross and humble us again and again. Father, help us to share all good things with those who instruct us. Help us to value the place of Bible teaching and encourage and pray for all those who do that work in this place. Father, help us to sow to the Spirit that we might see a a harvest of righteousness in our lives and a harvest of people in heaven. And Lord, as we've just sang, may we boast in nothing but the cross of Christ. And would our lives display to this watching world how much we love you, how much we love each other, and how much we love them. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.